This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County, welcoming you to the November edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, a monthly interview show, the second Monday of each month on WPKN 89.5 FM, bringing you news and information about the arts and culture across coastal Fairfield County. This month, our topic is the arts as policy. As you all know, individual artists and arts institutions across Connecticut, and of course around the world, are being hammered, like almost everybody else, by the economic fallout of the pandemic that we are still wading through. While many recognize the power of the arts and culture to heal, to comfort, to inspire, and to enable us to imagine new ways forward, fewer recognize the arts and culture as an industry, with inventors, creators, entrepreneurs, boards, workers, volunteers, producers, presenters, and many more. According to the US Bureau of Economic Analysis in 2014, the arts, both nonprofit mm -hmm. sector and commercial and entertainment sectors, were at $730 billion industry, making up 4.2% of GDP, larger than transportation, tourism, agriculture, or construction. As an industry, the nonprofit arts and culture sector is a good investment. In 2012, a Michigan report showed that for every $1 the state invested in nonprofit arts and culture groups, it got back more than $51 plowed back into Michigan's economy. Just before the election, to gauge where our Connecticut legislative candidates stood on arts and culture and its importance in the economic and community life of our state, the Connecticut Arts Alliance, the statewide nonprofit advocacy coalition, sent out a five-part questionnaire to all electoral candidates in the state. In our Fairfield County region, 76 candidates received these questionnaires. Uh, however, just 18 completed them. As part of a series of online candidate forums that the Arts Alliance coordinated, we at the Cultural Alliance invited six of those 18 to talk more at length about their responses to those questions. Questions about how they personally appreciate and benefit from the arts, how arts and culture help heal and rebuild the social fabric and build racial and social justice, how arts and culture help with economic recovery, and if the candidates supported emergency funding for the arts, where would that funding come from? That forum was recorded, and you can see it on the Cultural Alliance YouTube page. Today, we welcome four members from that group who all just won re-election and who all expressed a personal commitment both to supporting the arts and culture in general and in thinking about ways to assist art artists and cultural groups across the state, large and small, in recovering from what has been a really devastating period for everyone. One refrain repeated by many of our participants during that forum was that, quote, supporting the arts is not just the right thing to do, it's the smart thing to do. So how do we push this forward into creating a policy agenda that will actually help 
and get things done. With me today are two colleagues to join the conversation and ask their own questions. Kathy Mayer, Executive Director of Bridgeport's Barnum Museum. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you, thank you. And, and Lou Asson, Executive Director of Stanford's Curtain Call Theater. Welcome, Lou. Good afternoon, thanks, David, and thank you all for, uh, for joining us on this gorgeous day. <laughs> Apart from directing the Barnum Museum since 2005, Kathy holds gubernatorial appointments to the Connecticut State Historic Preservation Council and the State Library and Museum of Connecticut History and Heritage. And she's a field reviewer for the Institute of Museum and Library Services Museums for America program. Lou has been executive director of Curtain Call since 2000 has performed as an actor in many stage film and TV productions, has served on the board of the Darien Art Center, and is currently the chair of the Stanford Arts and Culture Commission. Our legislators today are, in alphabetical order, State Representative Lucy Dathan, Democrat of District 142, covering Norwalk and New Canaan. With a financial background, Lucy will be beginning her second two-year term, she served on the Appropriations and Human Service, Services Committees and is Vice Chair of the Insurance and Real Estate Committee. Welcome, Lucy. State Senator Will Haskell, Democrat of Senate District 26 that covers Wilton, Ridgefield, Reading, Bethel and parts of New Canaan and Westport will be beginning his second term in the Senate. Will serves on the Environmental, Judiciary and Transportation Committees is Vice Chair of Government Administration and Elections Committee and Chair of Higher Education and Employment Advancement. Welcome, Will. Thanks, David. State Senator Tony Huang, Republican of Senate District 28 that covers Fairfield, Eastern, Newtown, and parts of Westport and Western is beginning his, beginning his fourth term. Previously, Tony served three terms as state representative for the 134th District, Fairfield and Trumbull. He is ranking member of the Housing, Higher Education and Public Safety and Security Committees. He's also a member of the Transportation Committee. Welcome, Tony. Thank you, David, it's good to be here. And State Representative Dave Rutigliano, Republican of House District 123, representing Trumbull, is beginning his fifth term. He serves on the Labor, General Law and Finance and Regulations Review Committees. Dave is a chef, a small business owner, and partner in the local SBC restaurant group. Welcome, Dave. Hello, good afternoon. So welcome all and congratulations, especially on being returned for another term in either the House or Senate. So you guys all love the arts. Um, in each of your statements and your presentation in our candidates forum, the arts are clearly near and dear to all of you. You're clearly all believers. Senator Dathan, you love live music and theater, and you see how the arts bring people together and see the arts with their healing power as a way of getting us through the next wave of the pandemic. Senator Haskell, you were president and a star of the Staples High School Theater Group, and the arts were a key part of your upbringing in Westport, and you've been a very active supporter of the arts in your district. Senator Huang, you've expressed your deep understanding of the economic hardships 
of all parts of the arts industry, from individual artists to large and small theaters. Also as a realtor, you're aware of the influx of New Yorkers to our state and understand how the arts make towns and neighborhoods attractive to potential residents. And Representative Rutigliano, you, you're a chef and a small business owner and have made it clear that you see yourself as an artist, a culinary artist, and also understand how a thriving arts community creates the conditions for a thriving restaurant culture. So my first question is, given all of your personal appreciation and understanding of how arts and culture are both psychological necessities and economic triggers for vibrant communities, before we get to discussing long-term strategies and policies, do you have any ideas about rescuing and restoring our arts and culture community over the next six months with venues closed, staff laid off, Estimates from the college from the <laughs> from the Connecticut Arts Alliance are of losses of some four hundred million dollars. So, what resources could we use to bring some measure of rescue to this part of the of, of the economy? Let's give you each up to two minutes, and then we'll open it up to questions and comments from Kathy and Lou and among yourselves. Uh, who wants to start? I can start. Uh, Lucy Dathan here representing Norwalk New Canaan. I first wanted to take the opportunity to say thank you so much for inviting me to participate today. I think this is uh, wonderful to get people out there thinking about what they can do um, in their communities to ensure that we all support the arts. Um, it is no no doubt that every single person sees how dramatically uh, negatively impacted the arts have been through um, the culture and what we need to do to financially set them up um, because so many um, people are really, you know, emotionally scarred from not having the um, regular uh, arts um, and how that is, is really impacted their well-being. Um, I do see in the, the short term, I know the, um, the government of uh, Connecticut, where, you know, like many other states across the country, we have provided up to $9 million in grants to certain nonprofits and other um, organizations in the, in the arts um, to help them recover more quickly from the ongoing COVID-19 impact. Um, this is all coming from the Federal CARES Act funding um, and the state's coronavirus relief fund, which is about $1.4 billion. Um, this is great to me. I sit within uh, the Appropriations Committee on the DECD, which is the Department of Economic Community Development, um, uh, the subcommittee within appropriations. And, you know, there's so many wonderful uh, organizations that do come to us uh, for state funding. And, um, I am pleased to hear that we have this, and I do think that we need to investigate, um, you know, now that we are looking at a Biden presidency and what that might mean in terms of relief for our state, um, because it's, we, we haven't talked about it before, um, the, the Congress and the, the Senate haven't done anything on a, a national basis, but I'm curious to see what the new administration will, will bring and um, encourage that this will really help um, our friends in the art community. Right. So thank, thank you. you again. Thank you. Um, Tony, 
There you go. Uh, the Zoom world, as we call it. Uh, you yeah. know, the arts and culture has been absolutely devastated, along with so many other businesses. But one of the things that's been said is, has the arts and, and, and culture industry been kept in par with considerations from other industries? And I sincerely believe that it has not been. I, I think it's been considered a, a side issue and it has not been given the proper consideration that, that it deserves because of the not only the intrinsics that we talk about, but also the economic force that is such an integral part of what arts and cultures is, particularly in Southwestern Connecticut. So I, I think one of the first things that we have to do is consider our arts and culture and museums to be on par with other critical services. We have heard so much about feedback on restaurant openings and business openings, but we never hear about our closed museums. We have, never, we have not heard about venues that aren't being open. I think that is one of the first things that we have to do is put arts and culture and its various other entities to not only consider it as a luxury or, or a nicety, it is an essential economic engine. So I think that's the first part. I think the second part really is there has to be tremendous federal, state, and local collaboration. What I mean by that is we did do something from the onset of this pandemic to create a, a, a PUA fund, which is an unemployment fund for the self-employed, which so many of our independent contractor artists are indeed covered under. It has never happened before in the state of Connecticut. We've never had a self-employed unemployment fund. That was a result of the CARES Act and the PUA fund that was set up with the Department of Labor. But I have to tell you, it's a learning curve that is still being reached uh, with our Department of Labor and many of our uh, self-employed self-contractors. So we need to understand that many of our artists, you know, when they're working, they're thriving, they're succeeding, they're financially secure. But in this pandemic, they have had the, the, the rug pulled underneath from them. Uh, the, 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 the ability to meet their economic challenges are a struggle daily. Uh, we need to be sensitive of these self-employed contractor statuses, these incredibly talented people, to give them a lifeline to support them. So I think it has to be a collaboration. We can't lose many of these talented people that are on the ascend, that, that is making entertainment and arts and culture as part of their career, because if they aren't able to sustain that creativity commitment, they're going to find other vocational careers and we may lose talent that may never come back. So I, I, I think those are two critical factors for me that, that are in the undertow, but we really have to do a yeoman's job to inform the general public that we can't afford not to do it. And that's our responsibility as well, I guess, as, as legislators, that's a group responsibility. Um, let's move to uh, Will, what do you have to say? Sure, well, first of all, David, thank you so much for inviting me and congratulations to my colleagues on their recent reelection. I'm excited to get back to work with each of them. And uh, there is so much work that lies ahead. As Senator Wong mentioned, restaurants are struggling, school districts are struggling, but of course, our cultural institutions uh, are such a vibrant part of our local economy. I know that most people who live here in Fairfield County understand that Connecticut wouldn't really be Connecticut if we lost institutions like the Westport Country Playhouse, the Ridgefield Playhouse, the ACT Theater in Ridgefield, the Summer Theater of New Canaan. There are just so many rich cultural institutions that make life uh, worth living down here and uh, really brighten not only our local economy, but also our, our daily lives. So, 
they've been hit hard by this pandemic, uh, of course. And it's not just the folks who uh, work directly in those fields. All of our economy has struggled. The uh, arts and process, the, the Americans for the Arts produced the Arts and Economic Prosperity Report. Uh, the most recent one that I could find for Fairfield County was 2015. I'm sure there's a more recent one, but the revenue that local arts and cultural organizations generate to the state government is more than $11 million. It's more than $9 million in revenue to, uh, to local government alone. So there is a lot that's, that's uh, been damaged by this pandemic, and we've got to understand the economic impact that this has had on our whole community, including those who work directly for the arts. Representative Dathan mentioned the DECD, and I got to give a shout out to Liz Liz Shapiro, who I think has done a wonderful job as the director of the arts at DECD, has rolled out that $9 million grant program. But I think that Lucy is exactly right in saying that we've now entered a new chapter. Hopefully there will be a new relationship between Congress and the White House. And ideally, Connecticut will see some sort of federal aid that would allow us to provide more of a helping hand. So far, it's been rather limited. And that's because Connecticut as a state, for all the reasons we can discuss later on this call or not, is rather cash-strapped. We can't necessarily do everything that we want to do, but with a little bit of federal assistance, I know that there are boots on the ground here in Connecticut, from DECD down to the Cultural Arts Alliance of Fairfield County, that are ready to distribute the aid to the organizations most in need. I hope that that's what lies ahead. Um, and David, what, what's your perspective? Well, I mean, my colleagues really covered a lot of ground there. I mean... You know, I try to simplify things in my life. I think we need emergency funding to get everybody uh, to continue waiting until the pandemic runs its course. And then we need a permanent uh, way to support the arts and culture as things start to reopen and come back. Um, I would look for which revenue streams maybe we could use to, to accomplish that. I had spoke during the questionnaire section about the tourism fund and uh, sort of using that sort of pot of money to support these artists and venues and everybody like that. So I concur with a lot of what my colleague says. I don't necessarily think that uh, waiting for the federal government to do just about anything is good. I think we should support our own here in Connecticut and, uh, and really try to keep everybody going and then get through this. I mean, I'm in the restaurant business. So, I mean, I, it, I you know, I'm not a museum or an, uh, a concert hall that is really shut down. They actually have it worse than we do, but we have it pretty bad. Um, a growing, thriving economy is certainly the best way to support all these art venues. Of people with money in their pocket and a way to dispose of it, they will do so. And I, I think that might be the best way to go eventually. That's great. Um, so Kathy and Lou, I don't know whether you have any comments there. There were some interesting suggestions there about uh, working more closely with the Department of Labor, um, about waiting for federal funds. Um, you both have been um, severely impacted by this crisis. Um, any comments? I, I think the, the most important thing that I can say is to, to all of you in the legislature, thank you um, for your support, first of all, but for, um, for your support of the Labor Department and the, uh, Tony, you mentioned the PUA. So many of the artists that we work with are self-employed. And it, it was a godsend for that to be available to them. So thank you for that. And supporting the shared work program, which you know, I was fortunate to jump on at the very beginning. My dad had a 30 plus year career in this, the labor department. So I was kind of always keenly attuned to all things in that regard. So I, I learned about the shared work program in, in early March before things even went dark. Um, I think yeah, from a legislative standpoint, 
there are still people that don't know the shared work program is out there. Um, So, you know, doing whatever you can to get that out. That's been an absolute godsend for our organization. You know, we've been on the shared work since, since April one, and we're going to continue. Oh no. Oops. We may have lost Lou temporarily there. I'm sorry. My, my, my phone rang. I apologize. Um, The, the, we know that Connecticut's cash strapped. Will there's no question. We you know we all are aware of that, and we're most grateful for the nine million uh, from the CARES Act that's you know going to be distributed sometime you know before the end of the year. So I, I think you're all probably right that we need to take a breath for a little bit and see where the new uh, administration in Washington takes us and what kind of programs that can be coordinated between local, state, and federal. I think that's that's probably a, a safe place to be right now. But I think what we need is your help uh, from the legislature to, to tell us what we need to do, what information we can provide you to give you more ammunition um, and detail to help you know get the need across. You know, Tony, you met, you were very clear on that we are in the toilet. And, but we want to make sure that all of your colleagues understand uh, the economic impact, that we're not just a luxury. Uh, so what you know, we're asking really for your help to help you. You know, what can we do to help? What information do you want from us? What can we do? Do we need to be emailing all of your constituents, uh, whatever? So I think that's really my point right now is how can we help you help us? All right. Thank you. I, mean, I think that's a point that I was going to bring up later is that um, all four of the legislators um, on today are on our side, if you like. They're our supporters, they understand it. But as uh, one of their colleagues, uh, Jeffrey Steinberg, uh, representative from District 136 said in his questionnaire response that, uh, quote, it will remain a struggle convincing my colleagues that the arts are a need to have, not a nice to have. Um, so I think that is perhaps one of the core issues that we have with working with you as a kind of almost intermediary uh, force, uh, those legislators that um, understand our, our needs. Um, quickly, Kathy, do you have a comment? Yeah, so um, for yeah, first of all, congratulations, everybody. I understand what it's like to run. So, you know, totally grateful for the work that you do on behalf of us and for being here on this great day. Um, so a couple of you, you all, and like David said, uh, you're all on our side, you know, we're all on the same team. So now it's trying to figure out, okay, who's playing quarterback and who's catching the ball. Um, and we're here for, you know, for all of Connecticut to make sure this works. I was on the governor's transition team um, for arts, culture, and tourism. And right now I'm on the Homeland Security Emergency Management Committee for Arts, Culture, Tourism and Recreation. Okay, so I've heard a lot. And still we always go back to that place where we have to convince people that arts is not frivolous. And thank you all for understanding that it's not. It's a powerful economic driver and there is mountains of math and data and equations that proves that. So we have a voice in this. It's a matter of couching that voice in a way that is digestible and understandable 
to people so they understand if they make an investment, if they make a donation to an institution or it's through a state fund, there is massive value added, not just to the organization, it's even in the multipliers beyond that institution. You know, if somebody's coming to the Barnum Museum, they're getting off I-95 on their way to Massachusetts because we want them to stop here. And that all of our money is not just going to fix the roads to get them through the state. They can invest those dollars here. I've heard time and time again, millennials, and I apologize to millennials for saying that word. It's different than when I was in school. And Tony, you'd probably agree with this. Um, Basically, the younger generation says, I want to find a great place to live and I'll find a job. When I was growing up, it was like, find a job and that's where you live. It's not that way anymore. Connecticut has to be attractive. And what is going to entice people is what it has to offer, the well-being, the communities, the enrichment that's available to everybody, the creative economy. So we have the products that legislature, legislators could use on the floor to demonstrate we invest in this community, in its arts, in its culture, our, our property values are going to go up, you know, and our communities are going to be more thriving and more people are going to come in. And all those New Yorkers that are moving in right now, they're not going to want to move back in four or five years. So that's our, that's our job to make sure that's something really, really appealing. Understanding that Connecticut is more diverse now than it ever was before, you know, and, and you know, we, we track our data and the populations um, that come through. So how do, we, how do we make Connecticut attractive and celebrate the diversity and the cultures that are already existing here and thriving and not marginalizing anyone anymore. And it's always through the arts. It's a tool, it's, it's a facility to, you know, celebrate humanity through our stories. That's great. Thank you, Kathy. Um, I have to take a station break here. If you're just joining us, this is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County with our November edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture our monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Today, our topic is the arts as policy. With me are Kathy Mayer, Executive Director of the Barnum Museum in Bridgeport, and Lou Assone, Executive Director of Curtain Call Theatre in Stamford. In conversation with four newly re-elected legislators, State Representative Lucy Dathan, State Senator Will Haskell, State Senator Tony Huang, and State Representative Dave Rutigliano. So I'd like to pick up with um, where Kathy was, I think, and moving forward both to the long term um, in terms of um, moving beyond the urgency of the current situation, but thinking a little bit about the, what kind of structures we might be able to either strengthen or put in place in terms of the, in terms of the long term. I think we all um, understand the the economic um, side mm -hmm. of this. Um, um, and I'd just like to repeat um, Will Haskell's reference to the uh, study that we did with the uh, Americans for the Arts uh, back in 2016 that showed just nonprofit arts and culture institutions spending at least $235 million in Fairfield County alone um, for over 2015 creating 6,800 FTE jobs, 
and returning uh, almost $3 million in government revenue. Yet for all that productivity, uh, the state currently invests some $5.5 million from general funds to the arts. That's $1.54 per person compared to $2.24 in New York, $2.18 per person in Massachusetts. And while national appropriations have been steadily increasing in the last decade, Connecticut has gone from $7 million of support in 2015 down to four in 2017 and has been climbing slowly back up to the current five and a half. So um, I, I guess two things, um, both what would it take to increase general funding and are there ideas for using other funding mechanisms, but also uh, to pick up this uh, theme of how we can help you in terms of making the argument for that kind of increase. Well, anyone? I'm happy to jump in uh, again, Dave. Um, oh. I think Kathleen mentioned a great point about advocacy. Um, I, I know sitting within the DECD subcommittee of appropriations, we get so many people that come and um, really appeal and talk about um, what the the funds for, but your advocacy and um, residents of Connecticut's advocacy and stepping up really does mean a lot to our subcommittee. When we hear from business owners locally saying, hey, you know, this XYZ theater or this museum is, you know, a huge lifeline and I'm able to support um you know, extra jobs or extra people. And, you know, they, they do. We have the, the survey that you did, which I think is a fantastic um, ROI analysis for our state. But I do think, you know, local advocacy is so important. So encouraging your members to be that voice is really valuable. It does help a lot of us legislators really understand the full impact. But going back to your question about what we could do in the long term, my view is um, I'd like to see more public-private partnerships. I'd like to see uh, maybe incentives that the, the government can do to, um, to encourage um, businesses to invest in the arts so that, you know, we can, you know, I, I, I don't sit on the revenue and bonding committee, but, you know, looking at maybe credits that we could give um, businesses for um, doing that sort of investment. Um, I do think that that would also have um, a good impact for the local arts. One would also help the, the businesses be business friendly uh, to our state, but then also helping the Connecticut residents um, who are uh, enjoying these um, cultural events that are happening in their, in their areas. Thank you for that question. Hey. Uh, David, can I jump in and just say, I think Representative Dathan is exactly right. I don't serve on the Appropriations Committee, but in my first term in the legis legislature, I have been struck by the power of a handful of constituents reaching out. You know, I think a lot of us who get fired up about something in politics, maybe pick up the phone and call Senator Mitch McConnell's office, and you, you're probably not going to make a big difference if you do that. But if you do pick up the phone and you call your state representative or, you, or your state senator, you're probably going to reach them on their cell phone or you can send them a text or an Instagram message. And 
if five or 10 people do that, well, the communities that we represent are small enough, that really makes a big impact. I mean, I've seen firsthand bills that we couldn't get called for a vote all of a sudden when just a few folks mobilized and, and called their state senator, sent them a text message. We see co-sponsors sign on and the, the bill comes for a vote just a few hours later and it's signed into law by Governor Lamont. So the power that each of us hold to actually speak up is tremendous. And we as legislators can't possibly know the unique and varied needs of all the cultural institutions in our district because one size fits all doesn't work for any industry, but it certainly doesn't work for this one, right? The Ridgefield Playhouse is fundamentally different than the Summer Theater of New Canaan than the Westport Country Playhouse. And that's just one sort of genre of arts and culture within my district with three very different uh, theaters with very different needs. Um, that being said, in the long term, my goal is not just to keep in close contact with those in my district and to invite them to come up to the Capitol, to testify with them on the Appropriations Committee. Since I don't serve on that committee, I'll, I'll cede them my time and sit with them as they testify. But my, my goal also is to start is to do a better job of talking about what's right with Connecticut and not just what's wrong with Connecticut. We do this a lot in politics because our job when we get up to Hartford, I think is we is to solve problems. So we, we harp on all the things that are wrong with this state, but that's really not great for the long-term advertising is as Kathleen talked about drawing the next generation of workers of home buyers to this state. They're not going to be attracted to a state where all the policymakers are constantly talking about the flaws of this community. In fact, going back to that report that you mentioned, David, one, one thing that really struck me is the vast majority of folks who actually, 79% of the people who attended cultural institutions, they lived in Connecticut. It was only 206 who lived out of state. And these aren't expensive productions that the average person can't afford. On average, they spent $34.04, according to that report. So these are cultural uh, moments that are accessible. They're being provided to Connecticut residents. It's one of the things that makes this state so great to live. And now that I've got uh, you know the opportunity to continue up in the state capitol working for another two years, I want to talk more about all the things that are great about this state, not just the things that need to be fixed. All right, David or Tony? I will defer to David. I just, you know, we all try to stay positive. <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree that we should talk about the positivity, what's going on in Connecticut. But without getting over, overly political, I mean, we have yet to participate in the recovery. Connecticut lags behind in every economic indicator. We yeah. have to do something to give relief to the people that live here. And if all we're going to do is continue the path of bone-crushing regulations and things that really stunt our growth, it hurts all of us, not just uh, you know people in business, but people in art. And I just think that we, we need to protect who we need to protect and then let everyone else grow and be free and keep their money and spend it any way they choose. It's a little simplistic. It's a Saturday afternoon and there's lots of leaf blowers going on outside of my window, but I just, I, you know, I just think that we've spent 10 years since the Great Recession and we've yet to fully recover and we could have and we can. And I, I just feel if we set people free and allow them to keep and spend what they've earned themselves, we would attract everybody and then everybody would grow and be successful, including the art community. So Mm -hmm. well, that's what Thank I got. you. I, I just wanted to get back to the point of uh, that Will raised in terms of the importance of connecting with uh, state representatives. And of course, uh, calling you, Will, uh, would 
probably be an easier job than calling a representative who or a senator who didn't necessarily wasn't necessarily convinced uh, about the the importance and power of the arts. If I could just chime in on that, I, I neglected yeah. to completely agree with my colleague Senator Haskell. <laughs> I mean, five or 10 emails or phone calls is an absolute avalanche on just about any issue. I mean, this is about as local politics as you can get. So it doesn't take many to really affect what's going on up there. He is 100% correct in his analysis on what it would take to really advocate. But if I may, David, you know, your question was the long-term funding mechanism concerns. So many organizations are concerned. So I do want to give a shout out to WPKN. So we're going to be on that show and I guess that we're doing a zoom, but we're only on radio. So that being said, we love listening to PKN. It's important to understand that we got federal state and local input in funding mechanisms for our organization, but the arts is very hard to pin down. You have such various missions for each of those organizations. You got the Great Barnum Museum, which serves to to remind history and and to push forward and remind and service other people. But then you've got Fairfield Theater Company that creates live acts and 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 has tremendous sponsorship and, and a business venue. Each of those entities have different needs on funding mechanism and different missions. That being said, you need to have state, local, and and federal com- collaboration to get that done. But for so many of our nonprofits, here's the bottom line. It's not just state, federal, and local funding. It's your philanthropical membership that, that are integral part of your funding. And if we're driving people out of our state, and what has been the most challenging component for many of our nonprofits is your philanthropical base has been driven out of this state. And, and that is one thing we have to consider as public policy advocates is we can no longer continue a policy of saying we can continue to tax and spend more. And we're going to have a COVID pandemic crisis that's going to force us to manage our finances a little bit better. Because if the first words out of our mouth is, let's find more revenue, you're going to drive more of that funding component of the philanthropical side out of your various organizations' contributors. That's important. I think the second part is, We need to understand that every one of those entities are businesses. You have a nonprofit mission. You may have various intrinsics, but every single one of you are businesses. And we need to understand what we just passed out that are really wonderful ideas, such as raising the minimum wage and imposing paid family leave on all of our small businesses you're going to have to contend with those costs and you're not going to have a way out of it. So who's going to support you to meet those onerous and possible challenges? They're well-intentioned, but how many of your nonprofits that are barely staying afloat is going to handle the mandates that we just put down into our state, in our local businesses, in our local nonprofits? So No uh, exemption. So when you talk about funding mechanisms, it's not just about money from the state to you. It's about our ability to allow you to run a business that is able to stay competitive and provide a critical service, whether it's arts, museum. But to be able to understand there are challenges 
to all of you running businesses that we as a state create challenges and burden on you. And we need to be sensitive to that. Kathy Olu? Yeah. So um, to that point specifically, uh, first thing, you're absolutely right. We absolutely need to unify uh, all of the resources, whether it's local, state, or federal funding. Important to know, too, with that CARES package that was just rolled out, that's only for theaters. That's only for performing arts. So places like the Barnum Museum, uh, the Norwalk Aquarium, um, the zoo, Beardsley Zoo, none of us are eligible for that funding. It's not there. And because our our businesses actually are at a, uh, in the United States, we would be considered mid-ranged organizations to high-range organizations. We're not eligible for the thresholds that the uh, SBA new rollout loans have put out. So Chris Murphy said in a um, meeting earlier this year that if we don't find a place to land, there's going to be a mass extinction of these organizations, and that's an incalculable loss. So let's think about that incalculable loss against what you just said, Tony. Yeah, we're up against $15 wages. Well, quite frankly, I was paying, before we had to have everybody leave, I was paying my staff no less than $15. We were already there and respecting that. So it's a little unfair to shift that burden on to our entities um, and think that, we're competing with that. We're, we're, we're not competing with anybody. Tony, you even actually said it. We're not at par with the discussions about the other industry sectors. And we need to be. Um, through that, my, my feeling is that we do need to create definitely the emergency funding, like you said, Dave, absolutely. We need that short-term window because we are not open. We cannot comply and I can't open the Barnum Museum now. And let me tell you, the anguish I went through for three months to say, I've got to close this museum indefinitely until it's healthy and no one's in harm way. And I still have people knocking on the door with no masks on. Uh, okay. Boo, I have do, to do you that. have a comment? But before I do, let me finish the point. But we also have to figure out the long term. And that's through some kind of formalized policy that is recognizing the differences in these entities, but we're working on a common ground. There's also a big difference between the arts and cultural organizations in Fairfield County and there is with Mystic. I love all my friends in Mystic, you know, but there's always much more uh, interest directed up, up the uh, corridor. So we need more interest down here as well. I really couldn't agree with you more, Kathleen. I have a very smart point and uh, I'm with you. <laughs> I, I mean, I know that's not me answering a question, but she's right about the mystic. It's a conversation we've all had. I know it's a little out of the realm of what we're talking about today, but we you know what? I've been in plenty of tours and meetings and meetings about economic development, and mystic, act, mystic acts like it's a planet unto themselves, and nobody else has anything going on in the whole state. No offense. I like mystic. I've been up there, but there's other people, and they have different concerns, and they have different needs, and uh, we should address that. And the downside to the pandemic and, and the Barnum Museum and the curtain call is it's not just enough uh, when this is over. Somebody has to look at people and say, it's okay to come back. It's okay to go out to eat. It's okay to go to the theater. It's okay to gather. We've all spent all this time on a podium telling everybody to stay home, stay safe, don't do anything. But at some point, when the time is right, I'm not saying to do it now, I'm saying when the time is right, the same people that told you to stay home have to tell you to go out. 
And that's really when it's going to get better. You could tell everybody right now, tomorrow, that with a mask, you could do just about anything, if that's true. And unless the same official that told you not to go out of your house tells you to go out and participate the way you would, nobody's coming. I mean, there's there's certainly a psyche component to this that the public has to get past once we get through the pandemic. Um, before I move on, Lou, did you have a comment? I, actually, I just wanted to say, David, you're absolutely uh, right. That, that just because we open our doors doesn't mean people are going to flood back in. And that's a really scary uh, prospect for all of us. You know, when when the state moved on to phase three, our capacity would maximum capacity would have been about 50 people. And we opened an indoor production and we ran uh, over four nights. I think we had 35, 38, 42 and 28. Uh, That's the most we didn't get anywhere near the 50 because people were still afraid. Uh, Things are rolled back again. Um, so, yeah, we're going to need your leadership uh, for ev- everyone to, to get the word out to come back. I agree with you, Lou. Lou mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we have these conversations about capacity limits and, and the side, you almost chuckle. Like you can make the capacity whatever you want. I don't think people are coming. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, I agree, too. I want to get back to um, uh, the possibility of some structures in which we all might be able to work together. Um, I don't know how many people know about the Arts, Culture and Tourism Caucus that was formed, um, I don't know, almost a year ago. Um, Tony, uh, you are or were on that uh, caucus. Um, I just, I'm curious what people think about the uh, effectiveness of that group or the potential effectiveness of that group, if it were a caucus of those who understood the power of the arts as an industry um, to impact their colleagues. Uh, maybe Tony. Thank you, David. Um, yeah. The caucus was a great idea, um, and it was to encompass all of the entities uh, tied into tourism for the state of Connecticut. Uh, I know that we break it down by various regions, right? But that being said, COVID has has created a dynamic where we haven't met. Nobody's talked to each other. And and we're not certain where we are in in the current legislative session. Even though we all won re-election, there's no certainty that we're going back in the legislative session. We've been a state that's been governed by almost an executive order from from the executive branch. I, I I think David said it well. The same people that told everybody to stay home has to have the proper medical facts to be able to encourage people to 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 venture out. But honestly, with the second potential uprise uh, in, in, in uptick in numbers and, and that now going back to phase 2.1 and putting in, um, you know, curfews, uh, that really does take a step back. So there. there the caucus may be well-intentioned, but honestly, um, unless we get back into business and cu- cultivate the dynamics and relationship, you just, just like we said about the arts and the experience, um, Zoom meetings just isn't going to cut it. Um, right. We need but, to get back into legislative yeah. session. And, but and I'm really trying, to shift our, trying to shift our focus onto the long term once we have a vaccine sometime next year. When when we when the legislature does start meeting again, do you see 
uh, that caucus or a similar structure as having some real power in terms of getting things done along the lines of uh, what we're talking about here today? I, I hope so. But, but as Lou said earlier, he is very worried that people may not come back and, and a vaccine will take some time getting back to some degree of normalcy. There's talk, you know, in regards to maybe two to three years getting back to normalcy. What I will say to this is that organizations need to adapt and organizations need to lead and tell us as legislators up in Hartford what they're doing to survive. You do it far better than any of us. You know your business best. And one of the things that I will share with you that I want to compliment Lou in sharing with a broader audience, people should know about the share work dynamic. Lou, you're absolutely right. That is a wonderful tool that allows so many of our businesses to be able to keep people afloat without laying them off, giving them some degree of cash flow, some degree of health benefit protection, and to work with the Department of Labor to do that. Organizations and entities in the real market will adapt. And you need to tell us as legislators what you are doing because Hartford and the bureaucracy are not very apt to adapt. We don't think like that. So we need leadership from the ground up to tell us what's going on because without that, our mind think is very slow. Look, we're bound by a 10-year contract in a labor agreement where we can't do anything unlike what you just saw on WorkShare. That's a terrific um, sort of last message, Tony. Uh, we just have three minutes left. I I'm wanted sorry. To, um, I just wanted to pile on to what he just said. Yeah. I think the arts and culture community has an absolute leg to stand on. This is not a normal situation. If for cons uh, fiscal conservatives like myself and others who think the government shouldn't intervene in a lot of things, the government intervened and shut you down. So for you to have your hand out and ask for help, isn't sort of some random thing. I mean, it's not like you did this to yourself. The government did it to you. I believe you're entitled to support and we should do it. So here's my I just question. Want to add just one thing, you know, during the summer, the legislative committees, you know, work to meet virtually and work to, um, to get together, I know within appropriations, we were having one, two, sometimes even three meetings a week. Um, the Women's Caucus, which I sit on, you know, was having regular calls and, and stuff. So I do see, you know, the next legislative session as an opportunity for us to be still working. It will, you know, look differently than how things have looked uh, traditionally. But I do feel that there is going to be plenty of opportunities for um, the Cultural Alliance and, and other people to advocate on, on their behalf and how we, how we creatively think forward and, and forward solutions um, to, to, to reopen. Kathy, you just had one comment and then I want to give Will Haskell uh, our final minute that we have. So my question is, would you entertain um, the Fairfield County Arts putting together a package to go in front of appropriations that would help support general operating as much the way the Mystic Aquarium received, what was it, $7 million to help with uh, their general operations? I see you smiling because we're still on Zoom, Tony. Um, would that be entertained if we put that package together and we got our 10 people uh, to start making the phone calls to drive that agenda potentially forward for an appropriations um, 
30 second response from someone. Uh, I would support that. You, you might have to include a couple of other really awesome theaters throughout the state, but I, I get your point. Yeah, Kathy, I think it's a great idea. I don't sit on appropriations, but I'll make those calls with you and I'll, I'll come and testify once the uh, proposal is put together. I think it's really a wonderful, wonderful concept. I would support that as well. And it was, I'm smiling because Mystic's grant appeared suddenly without um, deliberations, without appropriations meetings and input. It and just happened. Don't get me wrong. It's no wonderful. transparency. <laughs> Thank you all. Uh, Lucy, did, um, did you have a comment there? I was just going to echo that I look forward to seeing that in front of appropriations and uh, would love to to engage uh, the, the commissioner on it and how we can take it forward. So thank you, Kathleen, for volunteering that. And well, we just have one minute. I wondered if you had any uh, final comment. Absolutely. Well, like I said, I'm really grateful to participate today and know that uh, you've got allies up at the Capitol in Dave and Tony and Lucy and myself. Uh, we're here agreeing with each other. I mean, I may slightly disagree with Representative Rutigliano. I don't think the government did this to you. I think that, you know, the virus did. But I take his point that we certainly need to extend a helping hand in this moment. And we don't need any convincing when you come up to the Capitol, regardless of the committees we sit on, we are ready to lend a hand and be supportive. Our job now is to go out and convince our colleagues. But we're going to desperately need your help. We're going to need your specific ideas, uh, your proposals to, to try to carry this ball forward. And it's not going to be easy. The road ahead is hard. There are so many various industries that need assistance, but it's hard to imagine anything more deserving, anything more important, anything that makes Connecticut more special than our arts and culture. And, uh, you know, as representatives of Fairfield County, we're ready and eager to fight for you. So please keep in touch. Like I said, a phone call, a text message, an email, it really does make a difference. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you, whether you are an institution in the 26th district or anywhere in Fairfield County. Know that I think I speak for all four of us. Our doors are always open. That's a very good, strong message to end upon. Thank you very much. Thank you all for your time. We could certainly continue for another hour quite yeah. happily. Um, we're looking forward to working with you um, in a slightly more intense way, I think, in, in the future. So thank you all and good luck with the next session. Thank you. Thank you. Be safe and healthy, everybody. everybody. Kathleen was my constituent and I'm proud to have her. Yes. <laughs> thank this you. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County. You have been listening to our November edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, a monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Today, our topic was the arts as policy. Our guests today were Kathy Mayer, executive director of the Barnum Museum in Bridgeport, and Lou Ersone, executive director of Curtain Call in Stamford, in conversation with four newly re-elected legislators, State Representative Lucy Dathan, State Senator Will Haskell, State Senator Tony Huang, and State Representative Dave Rutigliano. If you missed part of the broadcast or just want to hear it again, you can hear the show on WPKN Podcasts on SoundCloud. I'm David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County. Please tune in again in December for our next edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture. <laughs>